Arteta! What a Like a man with an eye for an opportunity and understanding of space, I wasn't sure there'd be anything to talk about in this podcast, but Mesut Ozil swooped in. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Kabak Man Twitter at Yankee Gunner. He, he saw the space, the space, the void of really interesting things to discuss. He saw an opportunity to create a chance, and he absolutely, as he once did in the pomp of his career, created that chance for us by potentially moving to Fenerbahce. And we will discuss that among everything else going on. It's going to be a news whip around today. We'll talk about transfer rumors. We'll talk about Saliba quotes. We'll talk about ingoings and outcomings. Nope, that's wrong. Outgoings and incomings. That's it. That's the one. And we will certainly tell you how to have the smoothest privates in all the land. Here to discuss it with me is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Ooh. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Hey, how, so how are you guys doing, Paul? How's your life? How how are things? Things good? <laughs> God, you are terrible at this. God, you don't like I, me. I, I I don't I don't really care is the problem. I, <laughs> I, I know I'm supposed to waffle I now and ask you about. I just don't care at all. Is. I don't care. But but are you good? Good. Okay, Tim. How are you? How's the baby? Good. Good. All good. Yes. Yeah. She's um. She's just, well, my wife's just trying to put her to bed, but mm. from what I can hear, that that's not immediately successful. So last night, um, my five-year-old got up and wanted my wife to come sleep in her bed. So my wife went to go sleep in her bed. Our one-year-old was sleeping in our bed because our one-year-old wasn't sleeping. And I woke up in the middle of the night to the one-year-old falling off our bed. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I heard a thump and then crying. And I looked, I said, the baby's not in the bed. Where's the baby? And the baby was on the floor. And when they say that babies bounce, they do bounce. They're, they're just fine. She's just totally fine. So uh, it's been a minute 53, guys. Is this enough of this? Can I talk football now? They don't yeah, really yeah, let's. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they just kind of... Thank God. They absorb. <sighs> they're like a drunk falling out of a fourth floor, floor yeah, window. Yeah, it's crazy. They just absorb... I mean, they're built that way. God bless them. Yeah. Um, okay, we crossed the two-minute mark of off, which means we can talk about football. Thank goodness. Tim, I'll, I'll start with you because um, you put out a tweet that I thought was interesting and it mm. wasn't slanted. It wasn't, you know, it, it, it didn't have any intentionality behind it that I saw. I thought it was like a really good, straightforward way to just kind of ask the question. And, and I guess I should lead him by saying there are strong rumors and while it is not done yet, it seems like Mesodozo is going to Fenerbahce and that it could happen this window. And we can talk about what that does for the club. But what you posted was all things considered. Do you think Mesut Ozil was a worthwhile transfer for Arsenal? If you could have seen into the future at the time of his signing until today, would you still have done it? 9,456 votes counted. Now, to be fair, many of those votes are fraudulent. Um, and and I, I think... <laughs> and we haven't counted the mail-in ballot yet. That's right, yes. But 74% said yes, they would still have done the transfer. 26% said no. I still feel no one in a landslide. And uh, when we have our day in court, we'll prove that. But so all kidding aside and uh, unfortunate political references aside as well, uh, and apologies to anyone who was hoping that would not bleed into this. How do you feel about that question yourself? And um, the fact that overwhelmingly people would, would definitely have done the transfer again. Yeah, the reason I thought it was such an interesting question is because I, I genuinely I had I like I didn't think it would come out like ninety percent either way. Do you know what I mean? Um, but I I didn't really know how it would go. And obviously, my my uh, personal Twitter following is not you know is not 
representative, I guess. Um, so therefore, it's only a sample. Um, but I, I just thought it was a really interesting question. And obviously, like most of the people who responded, you know, in the replies and, and not to the actual poll said, well, like, I think the absolute consensus position is yes, but I wouldn't have given him the new contract in 2018, which would absolutely be my position as well, um, albeit in hindsight. And but but I, what I was really interested in is no, no, like ha- basically have the last I mean, let's say two and a half years since Emery took over. Has that been worth it for what he produced up to that point? Mm. Um, and and I, I've got to say, I, I thought, I thought, how's this going to go? I thought it might come out yes, but I didn't think it would come out yes by that much. I was thinking maybe 60-40, and I, I thought that was really interesting. And the other reason I thought it was a really interesting question to ask is because you know, Ozil, for reasons we've gone into on um, a Patreon pod, which is still there, I think, um, if anyone wants to listen to it, which I, I thought was a really good and valuable discussion about what specifically it is about Mesut Ozil that just drives such strong opinions in people on kind of both sides. But it, it's difficult sometimes to see the wood for the trees in the Ozil discussion because um, we probably allow it to be dominated by... Um, I don't want to use the term extremists because I don't think it's really appropriate in this context because it, it doesn't really have much consequence. But, you know, by, by people who feel really strongly about it one way or another. And I was mm. just thinking, hmm, I, I wonder where the actual line is um, here. And, and, and yeah, I think that was it 74 percent of people said that, that they'd go through with it. And and the other reason I asked it is because I didn't really know myself when I thought of the question, I thought, I don't really know the answer to this. I haven't decided in my own head because of, and it's so difficult to divorce yourself from recency bias as well. But I have to say a lot of the replies people came back with really convinced me that it probably was worthwhile um, for for a number of reasons. And look, I understand there will be people listening to this going, of course it was worthwhile. What are you talking about? Um, Which is kind of fine. But, you know, a lot of people just coming back with, you know, do you actually remember what our team was like at that time? Completely devoid of creativity. Um, Sound familiar? Mm. Um, You know, like no, like lots of like nice footballers, but no one who had that final pass, you know, in 12, 13, because all have got one assist in the Champions League group stage um, because he was never that player. He was much better deeper as we subsequently found out. And we just didn't have that guy to unlock the door. We had a front three of Walcott, Podolski and Giroud who are all finishers, um, not really an ounce of creativity in, in the kind of pure sense of the word between them. And, and my view, uh, and I can, I remember writing something early that summer saying Arsenal's absolute priority must be a creative player um, this summer. Um, and, you know, ultimately we went out and got one of the best ones available, never never mind one of the best ones available on the market. And, and I think, you know, what was achieved, um, and it, obviously it's very difficult to, it's a bit like evaluating, you know, the Arshavin signing, like people say, oh, he got us top four. I don't think he did. Um, actually, I, I think that's an. I think Arsenal's form was on the upturn before he arrived, and actually, a lot of his contributions, his big contributions, came after Arsenal were already, um, I think, home and hosed in fourth. But whereas with Ozil, you know, it's it's different. How do you measure the kind of how much he lifted the club, um, how much he contributed to you know winning that FA Cup or those FA Cups rather in particularly in 14 and 15 and breaking that trophy duck. You know, in 2013-14, we finished fourth. Without Ozil, we might not have. Um, We also competed for the title 
in a way, I guess, that year. We were top until February, March. Mm. And so while that wasn't a perfect season, it was much better. Like, it looked like we were going up a level. And I think the thing is, like, ultimately, and, and sorry, I, th- I think the other the other reason I came down on the side of yes is, mm. given the way we've been spending money over the last two and a half years, as much as Ozil's contract is a complete albatross, like, what else would we have done with it? Like, <laughs> Some Honestly. other albatross. <laughs> we truly yeah, could have found exactly. a different one. <laughs> exactly. We we probably would have panic bought Higuain and he'd be sitting on that contract or something like that, you know. So it's not like it's not like we'd have got close to the league title in the last couple of years, and I don't think we'd have spent the money much better. But but I think the other thing is as well, you know, you look at some of the some of the cumulative effects as well. You know, does Ramsey become um, you know, an elite attacking midfielder without Ozil there and things like that. And does Sanchez come to the club a summer later um, without Ozil there? And uh, But I, I guess really the overriding, um, wherever you stand on the Ozil debate, the overriding uh, emotion is regret, whether it's because you think he's a waster and we wasted all of our money on him or you think he's a generational talent and we didn't get the best out of him um, or whether... We, possibly like me or somewhere between those two stools and and just kind of think uh that when we signed him it really felt like the start of something genuinely special and that didn't really materialize in the way that we might have envisaged and some of that of Ozil, is Ozil's fault plenty of it is Arsenal's fault yeah I mean I, I I think that there's no way to answer this question and to look at his time at Arsenal without deciding which period matters more, the period before the contract renewal or the period after. Um, Because I think, in my view, the period before the contract renewal is sort of a resounding success to the extent that a team that doesn't win titles and doesn't, you know, doesn't really... I mean, we competed for a title, to be fair, but to the extent that a team that doesn't win titles can be a resounding success when you're a club the size of Arsenal's. I mean, I think in the context of where we were, pre-new contract... He was a success for us. You know, I, I do think, Paul, that also you have to look at at the club at the time he arrived. I mean, just the moment of his signing felt so monumental, so momentous for a club that had lost all the Invincibles, then lost Sesk and Van Persie and Nasri and you know Adebayor and all these players on and on and on down the line. Um, and just to sort of stop and plant a flag and say, nope, we st- we're still relevant. We're still big. Here is the best playmaker in the world in the pomp of his career, World Cup winner, Real Madrid. Um, you know, really a, a critical piece of Real Madrid, not not a fringe piece they didn't want. Now you can say, well, they clearly didn't want. But my point is simply, this was a colossal global superstar coming to Arsenal in his prime. And that that had value. That had weight, and it, and it was important, and it felt important at the time. And I, you know, we pulled it off on a deadline day when the mood around the club was pretty damn somber. I mean, things were looking down, and so the the simple fact of signing him became important. Now, I'm going to raise a point after you speak as to why I probably still regret having signed him, which will be typical, and you can probably guess at it. But, um, oh, I'm sure you will. Yeah, well, I, you can probably even guess what it is because it's it's one very simple thing, and it's purely from the heart and not from the head. But in terms of balancing that pre-contract renewal period and post-contract renewal, let's set the post-contract renewal aside. Do you agree that essentially his signing and initial period was essentially a resounding success, or is that too strong? 
Um, so I had like really clear thoughts on this, and then I listened to Tim with great points all over the place, mm. and he like peed all over my 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 co- semi coherent. We don't we uh, don't kink shame here, Paul. So if that worked for you, that's fine. You know. No, no, he he mind. No, I can't say no, that. Don't. He mind made love to my mind, um, <laughs> and and now well, the redundancy I'm department struggling redundancy. to find out how I feel. I'm I'm trying to find out how I feel about anything. Um, he made a lot of good points. Um, I so here's where I think I was on it before I listened to Tim. My heart says yes. My head says. I really don't know because its sequence is important, but then you can't like the downside, the funk that came after the downturn with Macedozal is also covers the period where arson went to into significant decline. Uh, We got Emery um, that went tits up. Arteta almost went tits up, but here we are. We survived through to the January window, his window of of evolutionary survival potentially, and the pall, the 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 funk that comes with having the most expensive player in our history, uh, potentially boosting the cost we the the wages we had to pay. Uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who is not going to want to not be the most expensive player at the club, given the other one doesn't play. I mean, the the, the consequences from the decline are massive for the club. And like the thing I say to myself, well, if the sequence had been different, if the, if the bad stuff was first and the good stuff was last, because there was a lot of good stuff, right? That, that was a lot of years till you could say maybe 2018-ish. Uh, which were great and they were fun and like Jesus Christ, we had a ball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like it was ups and downs. It wasn't all great, and he had his good games and his bad games. And during the great times, we still discussed about how he went missing in big games or blah yes. blah blah. Like the club general, I mean, that, that had been that. a problem be- before he arrived and continued to be one after he he was there. Yeah. Sure, but as a football fan. Uh, like it was just great. It was really great having him. The uh, as you talked about the excitement of the club when he came. The fact that it looked like we were finally going to go for it. As you, as Tim, I think said, get you know getting Alexis. You know that all the things that could happen because Ozil was here. All the belief was just bloody great. Ups and downs, and yeah, we cried in our beer at times. But so what? That's football. It was fun. And it hasn't been that much fun in the last two and a bit years. And that funk, uh, it reminds me of when you get fired from a job and it's terrible. But this lightness comes when you got like a bad situation off your back. And as long as you have somewhere to go on to afterwards, it's like, hey, that nearly did me a favor. It'll be interesting to see how the club is when we get this behind us, because it's a massive shadow waiting for every manager. It's fine to bin him out, but once your performances dip, you know what your press conferences become. The fucking mess at Ozil, why aren't you playing him debate? Mm. But, you know, and like, we don't know all the details in the background, but, but it's like you either play him and you're damned or you don't play him and you're damned. It seems. And, 
you know that's that's been a two and a half year problem and it's at the you know if the good st- if the bad stuff is first and then it's all good stuff for the rest of it unfortunately that's not how it was nor could it have been i mean if the good if the bad stuff had been at the start it might have really torched the club so even that scenario doesn't work but if there was you know the, if i could wish it all away one aspect of it it was the fans not giving a shit what the media said regarding Ozil after in the last two and a half years, let the manager, the team and the players sort it out. And we all we're totally cool with it. And we get behind, you know, if you have a magic wish, you might wish, hey, we don't pay the contract, the, the, the re-up to the 350K. I, li- I like that one. That solves all problems. But I'd also say that we let the club get on with it and let them sort it out because we don't know. And we're just going to hamstring ourselves if we get involved. But just like we can't magic away the 350k bump, mm. we can't magic away our response whether, uh, you know, whether I wish it that way or not. I'm not saying everybody would see it that way, but there was there are other ways to deal with the screw up, and one of them is by us not getting involved in the shit and letting them work it out. Uh, yeah. because that's what gave it all the power. The gloom, the shadow. It, you know, I mean, it's inevitable. It, There's nothing you can do about it. It had more power. Like, it had actual power, right? Because, like, there's an economic reality of having that much money invested in a player, even if the player's playing and playing well, right? I mean, the, there's only so there much is, but, to go around. There's only so much wage bill. If you tie, yeah, let's but say he was playing and just playing okay, it would still have been a colossal mistake. Colossal mistake. If he was just well, doing what Aubameyang is doing, it would be not colossal. a colossal mistake. It's not. Absolutely. It's, not. it's too much money. It, exactly. We've just got, That's all we've just this is. A, but we just went and offered the same money to Pierre-Emerick Colossal Obama. mistake. As we, I was saying no, all summer, no, colossal mistake. All be colossal or we'd be dead. We've got like... And we are dead. Six, <laughs> Look well, at our club. Hang, <laughs> let me explain to you why it's not colossal. Okay, sure. We did it with him. We yeah. did a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Mm-hmm. We have... Aubameyang, we have like five players sitting around on big contracts, and yet we're in business. They can't all be colossal well, mistakes. We're They're in bad mistakes. business, but we're in business. Yes, we're we not could absolutely we could have we could have absolutely absorbed the Mesut Ozil screw up had we not made all the other screw ups. So I I sort of agree, but I still think <clears throat> if you give record wages that are the highest wages in the entire league or thereabouts to a player who plays at an average level, that is a colossal mistake. And we would view it that way at any other club. Now, the question becomes, is it so colossal okay, that Okay, but we're recover? only overpaying him by about 150K, right? Almost everybody wanted us to redo the deal. Had we kept it around, Can I just stop you for one second? I hate, one thing I hate, I hate the argument that Almost everybody agreed the bad thing that we did that was dumb should have been done. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, it, it, it doesn't matter if a lot of fans thought we should do the dumb thing. It doesn't make it less dumb. The, you need a club that does the right thing, even when a lot of people can't see that it's the right thing. Not a club that can say, well, we did the dumb thing, but a lot of people wanted us to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if that makes sense. Yeah, but it does, but... I'm not saying we don't do the bad thing. I'm saying we do the better thing, which is, hey, if we paid him like 200K to the point. Now, he wouldn't have accepted that deal. That's not the point. My point is, how much did we overpay? How much would we have 
would a majority of supporters said, hey, that's and like, what are we debating? Whether the whether pe- people wanted him, wanted Ozil here and how they felt about that re-up deal. So you can't take it away. Well, it doesn't matter what how people feel about it. I think most people would have felt and would feel now that if we paid him about 200K, that was pretty reasonable. So we paid him about 150K too much. Now, the club can afford 150K too much. We've got like seven of those bastards sitting around right now. You just can't afford all of them and PEA at 350K and overpaying Mesut Ozil by 150K. You can't do all of it. But Ozil on his own was not a colossal mistake. Okay. Not I mean, colossal I disagree. in the sense that I it would destroy point. the club. Sure, I disagree. Look, nothing's going to destroy the club. I think it destroyed our competitiveness. Right. And I think that's borne out by what has happened since that contract, which is we have rocketed down the table, in part because we have tried to make do at positions. And I'm convinced part of the reason we have tried to make do at positions is you have a wage bill. There's roughly an expectation of what that wage bill can be, both because of FFP reasons and and there were some league cost control reasons and also just your owner you know, not being willing to go beyond that. And if you have a certain amount of wages tied up in players that aren't helping you, it's less wages you can put into players that will help you. And when it's the most of your wages, and they're not only not helping you, but they're not helping you at all, big problem. And and to your point about would 200 grand a week have been okay for him, I still don't think yes. But while I agree that's closer to fair, it's kind of like saying Messi makes sense for us if he'll sign on 80K per week. Like, you know, it saying that doing something that we couldn't have done would make sense, I'd sort of agree with you, but I don't think it could have happened. Well, well Tim, I mean... But before I get into the single biggest reason why I, I voted no here, the reason I voted no is because of the way you worded the question. Would you have done this again if every single thing happened exactly as it happened? And that, for me, mm-hmm. includes managers not playing him. Because I think you can make an argument, mm-hmm. at least, to Paul's point. If we were using him, even if he wasn't great, then he's helping. Not using him, he's not helping. Now, whether you think that is the player's fault or the manager's fault, in the way you word the question, I can't change that. And for me, the problem is multiple seasons of our highest earner at the club basically not playing at all, being a distraction, being frozen out, ripping the club apart, and removing from the club an asset that is needed in a part of the pitch where we struggled. Like, if we never signed Mesut Ozil, those teams for the first few years might have been weaker. But these teams the last few years could certainly have been stronger. And so could we have arrested the decline that we've sunk to? And I think almost undeniably we could have. Now I'll just, I might as well just throw it out there because I keep hinting at it. I think we signed Cesc Fabregas back if we don't sign Mesut Ozil. And I know there are a lot of people that hate Cesc Fabregas think of him as a snake. I can't get there. I always loved him, will always love him. He went on and he won titles with Chelsea, which breaks my heart. Would he have been as good for us as Ozil was in that first few years? I don't know that he would have. But I almost certainly know it would not have ended this way, is my feeling. And you would have mm-hmm. had a guy who I think, my my opinion, a lot of people disagree, has an affinity for the club, you know, and, and would have brought some values to the club that maybe Mesut Ozil didn't bring. And while he would not have been the star that Ozil was in the time we signed him, I think he could have been potentially more usable over the duration of his time that, that he stayed here. So that, for me, is a factor and I understand it's a very personal mm-hmm. one. So just as a final thought then on this, because we, we should cover the rest of the the news and and Paul certainly let you well real real, real quick because Paul wants to jump in do you want you want to jump in on the Cesc Fabregas sure. point specifically? 
Yeah, just quickly. I mean, do you really think so? Wenger wouldn't take his call. So. Ba- yes. Well, hang on. Wenger wouldn't take his call, basically. That's what Sesk said. He heard not like that's not just Wenger tur- saying, you know, we can't fit you in. He w- Wenger doesn't. That really hurt him. That really hurt him. Now, maybe his reaction would have been different had Ozil not been there. But the, it wasn't just a, oh, we can't fit you in. There was, you know, you can't go back, as they say. And uh, in a less emotional, there are situations where players did come back, like Flamley. But but that wasn't the same level of a hurt for Wenger. This was this was like losing a son. You know what, Paul? I, so can, I, I can't say you're wrong because I, I don't know. In my mind, I have convinced myself that that was why we didn't sign Sess back. You could yeah. be dead right. It, I may be dead wrong there. So if I am, I hold my hands up. But un, you know, because we can't ever prove it, I can only go off what I think <laughs> would have happened. Um, so Tim, I, I mean, do do you see my point? Like, I guess what I'm saying is, the years we wouldn't have had Ozil, probably probably would not have been as good. Candidly, maybe we don't get Alexis mm-hmm. as a result. Of, like, I can't speculate, but I don't think they would have been as bad as the decline we've sunk to based on what's happened with Ozil post-contract, and I can't disentangle those things. So is is the boat anchor that this sort of became more of a weight in your mind than whatever lift we got in the initial period? Yeah, that's, that, that's a really good... I, I guess what you're essentially saying, Elliot, is that things might have been slightly... Um, again, I don't want to use the word worse, but not not quite as good... Um, and we should we should say like we shouldn't look back on that time with too much um, like with too uh, rose tinted specs because a lot of people were still very unhappy during those years. So I don't want to like recast them as the glory years or anything like that. But I guess what you're saying is things wouldn't have been quite as good, but they might have maintained like more of a level rather than, you know, good, 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 good. Oh, my God, this is terrible. <laughs> but like, to be honest, I think that that um, I think that that kind of I think decline is inevitable. Um, basically, um, there's a title for the podcast for you. <laughs> I I think it is almost entirely unavoidable. Um, I think that is the price you pay for success and for having good times and for having a good team. I think we're seeing it maybe a little bit with like Man City and Liverpool now. Um, they're kind of post-peak teams. And it is inc- it's going to be even with Man City's money. Man City's money makes it much easier. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they're in for like a spell of mid-table or anything. Ditto Barcelona with Messi. But there is a price to pay when you're good. And that's the decline is in the post because you don't replace Thierry Henry. You don't replace Patrick Vieira. Barcelona are not going to be able to replace Messi. Liverpool are not going to be able to like get a front three like Firmino, Mane and Salah again. It's not so they won't get good players. They will not, they won't like when that front three is up, like they're not, they're not replacing that chemistry. That's like, that's generational. Um, and you've already, you're already looking at like Man City and they're, you know, playing without, a, I, I accept they look a bit better at the moment, but they're playing without a striker because they don't have Aguero and mm. they don't really have anyone to replace him. They've struggled without Fernandinho. They've struggled without David Silva and they've, they've got all the money in the world. And, you know, it, yeah, money makes it easier. They will still rebuild a really good team, but, but it's difficult to get that chemistry back. And so, and, and look, um, the Arsenal of like, uh, you know, let's say, 
2010 to 2018 wasn't wasn't anywhere near that good but I, like I, I guess i'm talking more post invincibles era like everything feels like a decline you know and so we thought not necessarily incorrectly we thought like from 2006 onwards we were on a decline that decline now looks looks pretty nice like that looks like our our ceiling our target you know finishing fourth every year picking up the odd fa cup that that looks like that looks like success now um but it didn't at the time because we were coming from possibly you know certainly the best arsenal team since the 1930s so i this, this is just a really long-winded way i think of saying that i think that decline would have come another way because essentially the reason we hit that decline was um was the wenger era um coming to an end and what I was saying about that's the price you pay for having good players, for having good players for a long time. But look at Manchester United and Alex Ferguson. They haven't won the league since since he left, despite being incredibly well-resourced. They just can't get there and they still, they look slightly better. They still don't look anywhere near the level of Man City and Liverpool. That's just the price you pay for having really good long-term manager. And so we had that. Of course, then Wenger began to decline, I think, um, pretty much undeniably in the last, at least the last couple of years of his tenure. And so I, I guess I don't really think that Ozil is, um, maybe slightly expedites it or makes it slightly worse. But I, I think basically the central issue of the decline is, is Wenger. And that's partially because of his own declining, um, or his own decline as a manager. And that's partially just, that's what you fucking get when you have a manager for 22 years that you're largely happy with. Um, it's, it's very, very difficult to replace that. And it's very difficult. Like it's easy to look in hindsight and say, we were complacent. We should have done this and that, but every winning team has that. Every winning team has that pretty much. Nobody has like pretty much a perfect thing going and goes, Hmm, do you know what? Let's change all of this. Like just in case in two years, it's not quite as good. It's, it's just basically like decline is a process you have to go through when you're good. And so I, I don't really think Mesut Ozil's, presence greatly influences that i think the maybe the issue of, of the manager uh, which i say non-pejoratively um of just having a long-term manager is the reason for that decline and the reason we fell behind behind the scenes um and things like that yeah i think that's all well said and i don't really want to continue this conversation anymore because like you know again I, it's 30 minutes and i feel like it could be three hours and I think the best way I can resolve this, Tim, is just to say, if you loved watching Mesut Ozil at Arsenal, you are not alone. And if you loved it so much that you would never give back that experience, that is entirely understandable. And if you feel that he lifted the club at a time when it needed it, also entirely understandable. If I look at the holistic picture of what has happened subsequent to the contract renewal, and I... I don't assign blame. I don't assign it to Mesut Ozil that he's been frozen out. I don't assign it to the managers. I just say it was always, this is the only way it could have happened. If I look at it that way, then I have a hard time taking the totality of the situation and saying it made Arsenal Football Club better because our trajectory has gone to a place that I don't think any of us could have foreseen how, how low it would go. Having said that, I'm sympathetic to the idea that had coaches just used Ozil despite the flaws in his game, despite the inconsistencies in his performances, that we would be better than we have been. 
but I also don't know what was going on behind the scenes that made that feel untenable. So the best thing I can say is as a Cesc Fabregas lover, I would have preferred to have had Cesc Fabregas at the club, but I realized that I'm in fantasy land there. As a Mesut Ozil appreciator, which I certainly am, I fully enjoyed the time he was at the club. And I, you know what's ironic, you guys? You know how you avoid these situations? People get so tired of me, and I understand why. I'm a very tedious individual. But the reason I like talking about squad building principles is if you adhere to them, you don't always protect yourself from mistakes, but you wind up more often than not not being in total quagmires, right? Like, the, the, the best squad building principles would have said this contract for Mesut Ozil at that stage of his career was a mistake. Just like the 500000 a week that United gave Alexis was a mistake. They have all the money in the world, and I'm sure if you asked any United fan, they'd say it was a calamitous mistake. If you just follow good squad building principles, you can usually avoid these kinds of quagmires. Because take a Pepe, for example. Pepe looks like a guy who's not going to work out at Arsenal. Maybe still. It doesn't feel like a quagmire. Why? He's young enough you can move him on. He's not on so much money that he can't be moved. We might take a bit of a loss, but if we have to get out of the situation, we can. So when you make moves that have exit plans, they don't become boat anchors to the club. So I would simply say, I enjoyed Ozil. He's a brilliant player who in his pomp could do things I have not seen many players ever do at Arsenal. And had we simply had good squad building principles in place in the decision making we were doing, we would not have committed to this and we would not have wound up in this situation. And so that allows me to sort of exonerate the players and the managers and just say, when you give a guy pushing 30, 350,000 a week, you create a possibility that it breaks down to this level. And my only hope now is that we have not created that possible rod for our back again with Aubameyang. And, you know, everybody seems like a great character until they're not. Um, I just, I, I hope that we will get more from him and not wind up in this situation. And I think we can leave it there. Uh, Paul, do you have a, a final thought real quick before we move on? Uh, no, I think that's right. But but it ain't the money. It's the funk that came with it. That was the biggest cost to the club because it's paralyzing. It, yeah. Everything's fine till it's good to to kind of take a version of what you said. But when things go bad... It goes chaotic because it feeds itself. And if if there are a way we could discipline ourselves as a community to to not get pulled into the funk, I think the manager and the player would have found a better accommodation or no accommodation. And it would not have been catastrophic. It would have just been painful and expensive. Yeah. And this is where you and I just slightly disagree is only that Indeed. like, look, I mean, don't get me wrong. It, it created a funk on Twitter. <laughs> right, I get that. But I mean, as it surrounds a club, the moment you buy a global superstar with more social media followers than the club and pay that man elite money at the level of the top earners in the entire league, that person's going to be in the spotlight with the media, with his fellow players, with the fan. You know what I mean? You can't, you can't hide a superstar. Cristiano, no, Ronaldo, Cristiano right Ronaldo's I mean, not going to be the, yeah. the shrinking violet of the Juventus team. You know what I mean? No, no, you're quite right. I mean, uh, I overlooked the impact within the squad, which is kind of one of the biggest pieces of it. But my point is that it was calamitous, not from a financial standpoint. We, we've players that cost us 150K twiddling our thumbs. And that was, I, I think if you'd included in, in, in uh, Tim's... <laughs> message the idea that the the statement and we re-sign him at 200k instead of 350k watch the number spike even higher right mm. yeah yeah I, I, like 
So, you know what? I think it's just a final point to put on this. We all agree that Mesut Ozil did have brilliant high moments at Arsenal. No one is trying to whitewash that. The hardest thing to do in football is have nuanced conversations. The thing that makes it hard, and you touched on this so brilliantly, Paul, the, the chronology of it. He had years of being a delight, maybe not showing up in the big games, you know, whatever. And then he had years of being a, a, a massively polarizing, calamitous figure at the club. Whether you think it's through fault of his or fault of the manager makes no difference. It's a reality. And they were all contiguous. So we have that we have that positive period and then a very negative period. And the negative period is most recent in our mind. And I can understand why there are people that are ready for him to just get the hell out of the club. But at the same time, I can appreciate that there are people that are able to compartmentalize and and really look at the positives of what he brought. And you're going to take from this what you will. What I think we all agree on, as a final, final moment, it's good for this to be done. It's good for this to be done. Arteta wasn't going to use him, whether you blame Arteta, whether you blame Ozil, it's good for this to be done. And this money coming off the wage bill, I think will free us to make moves. And and that leads us to our next conversations about incomings and outgoings. And Paul, that's why I, I did slightly disagree on the um on the point about the wages mattering because I think one of the reasons we're in such a hurry to move him now, not just for the the circus of it, is I think that before we're allowed to bring people in and put, I mean, just as dumb as something as a non-homegrown player, right? Like we're over squad limits. We can't register all our players right now. So like there are very real um, requirements for us to be able to rebuild this squad. And one of them I think was, was getting him got, look, it's a fresh start. And I think if we're going to talk fresh start, we could talk about Mesut Ozil. We can also talk about your privates. They need a fresh start too. You know, it, it is it is pretty clear in my mind that we are all trying to purge negativity from our lives in this new year. And there have already been some negative scenes. And we, we just got to push it behind us. And, you know, maybe that negativity is all built up in all of the, the body hair. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there the, are the, these negative ions attached to the hair on our body. And if we just shave it off, they, they will go. I mean, have you thought about that? Have you tried that? Admit it, you haven't tried that. You haven't thought about it. You know why? Because it's crazy. But... It allows me to tell you about the lawnmower. The lawnmower 3.0. I want to I want to say thank you to the people that have sent me pictures of their lawnmower on social media and and especially thank them that they've sent me pictures of their lawnmower and not of them using it. Although again, no kink shaming. And so, you know, I'm certainly open to receiving those pictures if you want to send them, uh, but certainly do not feel like you have to cuz cuz you don't. Um but yeah, the lawnmower 3.0 is a tool created by Manscaped that is just fantastic. You know, it's just really good quality, has a long battery life, it works in the shower, it's wet dry, has ceramic blades, and the thing is just purpose-built to be the best body shaver you've ever had, period. Never tugs, nicks, scratches, cuts, has an awesome little stand you put it in, it looks all science fiction-y and cool in there, leave it in the shower for weeks. I have still, since I've started doing this promotions, I still have not charged my lawnmower. And I use it every time I shower, which is at least once every four weeks. It's a joke. Mostly. Um, body hair, chest hair, privates, eyebrows, you name it. Comes with a guard. You can use it for everything. It seems like it's just the best built product I've had for this sort of thing. And I, I think you're going to love it. And look, we can get you 20% off and free shipping. You just go to manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. If you go to manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision, get 20% off and free shipping. You get nice and smooth. These lockdowns will eventually end. And I said it before and I'll say it again. How fun would it be when the lockdowns are done, to be able to run into the street and take your pants off and show everyone your nice, smooth privates. Now, to be fair, uh, please check your local laws because that 
that may land you in jail where your smooth privates may be a benefit nonetheless. But you know what? Let's leave it there. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off and free shipping. The thing is fantastic. Stop using an old rusty blade because uh, that's a bad idea. All right. Enough of that. Tim, is that enough of that? <laughs> Would you say? I think quite, so, quite yes. Enough? Quite enough of that? Quite enough. These are getting uh, weirder. I told you about my homage to Highbury. <laughs> <laughs> the grass is resplendent. You know the Wembley grass, the way the grain goes back and forth. Yeah, I'll you, tell you more about it. You you could do your favorite your favorite pitch designs, uh, but let's not. Um, Tim, let's get into uh, some of the other rumor mill stuff, and I want to talk Saliba quickly, just because he's he was in the Nice team. I mean, he had sort of an uneven performance, to to put it mildly. Depending on where you read the quotes, they're sort of being spun to uh, deliver the most impact agenda-wise, but I think James Benz posted them, um, and he posted them exactly as he said it. So I'm just going to read those out, what he posted on his timeline. My first six months were difficult because I was coming from six months where I wasn't able to train because I was at home due to the pandemic and couldn't train outside, couldn't play. I arrived there as they were finishing the league season, so I was training alone. As soon as they came back from holidays, we quickly had the first friendly matches where I lacked rhythm and was a bit insufficient physically. The coach immediately told me that I was not ready. I would have at least liked to have a chance to rediscover my rhythm, but this is football. It's like that. Um, Tim, do you see that as an acknowledgement? I mean, put put on your agenda glasses. Are you going to take this as an acknowledgement that Arteta was right all along? He wasn't physically ready. Or do you see that as the player basically saying I was never given a chance or somewhere between those two uh, polar positions? I, I kind of read it and look, I, I have, I don't speak French, right? So um, sometimes like the intonation and, and everything tells you a lot here, but uh, you know, I, I feel like he was being diplomatic, but at the same time, you know, the word immediately jumps out at me. That's um, not necessarily an emotive word, but that's, I was immediately told, you know, that that's the kind of word it's, it's an emphasis word. Um, and I would have liked the chance to prove myself. I mean, th that's really what jumps out at me. It it doesn't necessarily make me think, oh, my God, he's absolutely furious. I mean, he might be. Um, you never know. Like, it, it was always unlikely that he was going to come out and say, I'm absolutely furious about this. Um, Arsenal are amateurs and I hate Arteta. Like, that was never going to come out. So, obviously, you couch these things. But, it, you know, when you say those words, it's because you want, them out there you know yeah. and, and obviously he's he's couched it in a, in a bit of diplomacy um but yeah i like the thing is i, I mean I, I listened to the ask cast today and and amy lawrence and andrew were talking about this and and you know when, when you just set out the timeline of it all you know would saliba have signed up for that you know would he have signed up for you know maybe going back on loan for a year but ostensibly like having already lost a few months of last season due to injury to then immediate and because of the pandemic as well and then immediately lose like the first half of this season as well i mean is it any wonder that he was a little bit rusty and like of course he was rusty like he, he hadn't played for six months so like what were we expecting um, you know, were we expecting a guy who hadn't played for six months to like all of a sudden just, you know, be the absolute finished article? And yeah, I, I don't know. Again, like obviously that 
that's convenient because that fits in with my opinion of the whole thing and and i guess my quote-unquote agenda um that i think we've just completely mismanaged him and i just hope that the that the relationship isn't isn't completely broken between the manager and the player and the club and the player but someone put this to me um quite um quite well today that you know you might think that Saliba's got some impressing to do of Arteta and you know we've brought in a young right-sided centre-back um today like I, I know he's training with the under 23s but you know that therein could be like a bit of a message but at the same time like you could spin it the other way and say, well, actually Arteta's got to go some way to impress Saliba and regain his trust mm. um, because he might well have used, you know, to to kind of paraphrase an old expression, um, used a, a sledgehammer to crack a walnut here. Um, and, I, I, you know, I basically Saliba didn't say, no, 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 no problem, all fine. Arteta was to- totally right from what I can see. Do you know what I mean? So that, to me suggests he's not entirely happy. We just don't know how unhappy he is. Yeah, and I mean, you know the problem with this? Tim, this is the first quote after the first game. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to be there a while. And look, he didn't have a great start to it, but he hasn't played in a year. It's going to get better. I mean, yeah, yeah. we saw Rob Holding come back, you know, after a year and and be pretty damn terrible. And, you know, he's starting to look better. That's Granted, that's from injury, but same kind of thing. And, I guess what I'm trying to say is he's going to keep getting asked. And if the performances start to improve and he starts getting good headlines, is he going to start to get more pointed with them? You know, I, I wonder what the way back is because there's going to be this drip, drip, drip of Saliba comments that are invariably going to make their way to Mikel, who's then going to get asked about them in his press conferences. Oh, you know, Saliba said that you immediately judged him. Do you have a comment on that? I don't think this is going to help for a coach who has shown that he doesn't like this sort of distraction and doesn't like this sort of tension. Um, I can't help it. I'm never going to come around and think that Arteta handled an Arsenal. I should say Arsenal, because it is not just Arteta, handled the Saliba situation correctly. Botching the loan move at the end of, uh, end of the summer certainly screwed everything up uh, in terms of not having him registered for the Europa League. They felt they couldn't use him in the Premier League. Is that accurate? I mean... You know, he made his way through a league on game. You know, it's not its not like he fell on his face and kicked three balls in his own net. I, I don't know. I mean, Paul, vis-a-vis my point about where this goes from here, I, I think these quotes are fairly benign, although I do agree with Tim that the comment that, like, he immediately decided I wasn't ready is suggesting, like, I wasn't given a chance to find a little form and get fit. He decided, because think about it, we wanted to loan him out right away, which does sort of support his point that Arteta got one look at a guy who hadn't played in six months and said, nah, not good enough, get him back out of here. Um, But, I mean, these comments are going to continue. So where do you come down on what he has said and and what, you know, may continue to happen now with him being asked about this stuff for the the balance of the season? So, uh, yeah, I I agree there's a little sting in the tail there with the immediately thing. He's making a point there that he wasn't given a chance. Um, Where do I think it'll go? It'll get better. I I watched most of this game. He was fine. I think most of the comments about him were that he looked a little rusty and then he kind of grew into it in the second. Like, he was totally fine in this game. All all things considered or not, he looked a little rusty and then he warmed up, but he was fine. Um, So in other words, hang on, because I didn't see it. So you would say, like, this is not a player who, in your view, at least in this game, looked unusably unprepared for football. No, no. I mean, that's the whole point, right? (laughs) Um, we had him on the bench in 
one or two cupish kinds of games. Yeah, I think League Cup. Yeah. Or could have, but we never played him. Now, why would that be? Oh, now I've been I've been fed by some conspiracy theorists, but there's some mileage to it. Um, I think you can explain a few things by the fact, not just Saliba, but one or two other things, by like maybe Balogun, by the fact that we have no feckin' money. In fact, we have the opposite to feckin' money. And I just do not believe that KSE is saying to the guys in London, oh, you need some extra money. Oh, well, here you are then. Yeah, keep doing the other stuff you're doing, but here's the extra. I think the conversation goes like this. You want party? Okay, but you got to get this shit sorted out with your incomings and outgoings. And they didn't. And I bet there are significant financial clauses for when Saliba first plays his first game for Arsenal. And Arteta puts two, two and two and two together with the help of his director of football and the club and says, look, we got loads of center backs. This guy isn't ready. And let's use that opportunity to get him out on loan, which didn't happen. Um, because they didn't want to pay the the starting for the first team bonuses. Now, this is just a conspiracy theory, but it's the only one that actually makes any sense to me whatsoever. Uh, and then you put it with other things we have done, like the Balogun thing where we don't want to pay extra money. Well, we should pay a bit extra money if we believe in him. But if KSC have said, listen, you're not improving any of your deals or any of that shit, till you get your these players out during the January window. It'll be interesting to see if we get all those players out, if we get those wages off the books, and then we actually come back and sweeten, say, the Balogun deal just a little to move things forward. But this, in my experience, that's kind of how businesses work. You come looking to them for money, they want their pound of flesh, and their pound of flesh is you got to get this other stuff sorted out. Um, I just wonder if financially... That was a decision that Arsenal London made to say uh, we got loads of centre. We've got we have an embarrassment of centre backs. We didn't move out of the club. We can use the excuse that he's not ready, and we can get him out on loan. And the loan didn't work, but they still want to get him out on loan because they can't. They don't want that extra bump on top of his wages for when he starts. Now it's just a possible theory, mm. um, but. Maybe more than anything, it just underlines all the stuff we don't know when we're coming up with our th- our theories of what went on, whether it's Ozil or Salim. Like, there's so much you don't know. Can, can there's I more you don't know than you do. One rejoinder to that, though, even if it's true, right? When you spend £30 yeah. million pounds on a teenager, and that that's a big economic investment in someone who's very highly rated. And young enough that they could have a big future at the club, or certainly some big resale value if you know if it doesn't go exactly how you'd like. But like, whatever the payment would be for him making his debut appearance, let's say it's two million pounds for his first appearance with the club. You've you've spent thirty million on this guy, and freezing him out to the point that he's more than a year away from playing any football, and giving him almost no path to really return and become an Arsenal player. I can't believe the calculation was made that whatever that bonus payment would be, balloon payment, whatever you want to call it, was worth what the outcome of that decision would be. Do you see what I'm saying? It feels like uh, oh, the absolutely. balance is wrong Individually, that, that's true. The Balogun thing individually would be true. But guess what? This is what people without money don't do. They make, they make a bunch of things 
like when you got to sell your shit quick, you take all sorts of you, you sell your sofa, which should be worth five hundred dollars if you had the time to sell it. But you need the money by Friday. You know, people who need money, people, a, an organization that where KSE in the U.S. is saying, listen, get your shit sorted out. And everybody's saying you phone them and ask them for some extra money and uh you know, nobody wants to make that phone call. In the end, they'll say, listen, you manage your money. Um, here's your party money. Here's your budget. Live within it. Make your tough choices. And they looked at the tough choices. They couldn't get Mustafi out. They couldn't get Socrates out. They couldn't get holding out. They needed to keep him in. They had uh, center backs up the wazoo. And they said, let's take your number, right? They deferred. Let's say five million in total between a bump in wages and a payment to I'm just making numbers up to Saint Etienne. And they said, let's defer that five million for another year. Let's not have them start for Arsenal. Um, it's just yeah, I don't, look, if otherwise it's five I don't million, understand Paul, it. I, I, <laughs> then you've got my attention. I mean, yeah, I guess it just or, you know what's or weird? three million or four million. But, but, uh, like individually, it doesn't make sense. But when you got to find money from somewhere, you do things. No, I get you. You know why it's harder for me, too? It's like, it's not like we bought him and he showed up. We had a whole year to figure out what the plan was going to be. So, you know, it feels yeah. to me a little bit crazy that, like, you know, it's, it's like when I was in college and I had to write a thesis and it's got to be like 120 page, like minimum. I can't really blame anybody else when I've known it all year and it's, you know, March and I haven't written a page yet. You know, it's like at some point yeah. you have to put in the work. We were the such a mess in the summer. The yeah. whole bandwidth thing. Look at what we didn't get done. Well, Raul basically being kicked out of the club with very little yeah. warning. I, I get it. Let's let's not go back through that because there's a lot more. And clubs to get do through. have to work within a budget. I know we act like <clears throat> it's all loosey goosey money or it's pocket. You know, it comes out of somebody's. But they have budgets. They they got to go back. Having asked for the party money, they got to go back and ask for even more money because they yeah. didn't get those other fuckers at the door. I, I think some of that turns into things that look like bad decisions. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it'll play out. I just, Tim, I mean, do you sort of agree with me that we're now going to get this drip, 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 and that that will make it harder for this to to have a positive resolution unless the player just turns around and winds up saying like, Arteta was right, you know, they did the best thing for me and I love him. I mean, if if it continues to drip out like this it's and Arteta has to answer questions about it every press conference, it surely isn't going to um, make him any more excited about welcoming the kid back. No, but to, to be honest, I think now the first game's happened, I, I don't see it happening that much more. Oh, like, okay. he's... He's 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 not going to be holding press up. conferences. He'd be pretty happy from here on in for a while. Well, yeah, and also he's not going to be holding a press conference every week. There was a press conference because he's a new <laughs> signing. Like that, there there isn't going to be a microphone under his nose that often. Like I I reckon you know he'll probably do like a couple of interviews and it might rear its head once or twice more before the end of the season. But I don't think much more than that. I guess I'm just maybe it's my cynicism about some not everyone in the press but some press were like. The first period where he has two, you know, man of the match performances in a row, you just can definitely see certain if, press outlets wanting to create a narrative of, you know, starring in France while Arsenal had just conceded three goals in the league. You know what I mean? Like, the if if the angle presents yeah, if, itself to dig the dig yeah. the knife in, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like if we're playing badly, that there's much more like if we're playing well and, and not conceding many goals, I, I don't see it coming up. Yeah. Well, so there you go. The solution to all of these dramas 
is to play well, play well and never concede. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with, look, I agree with that. If we play well, win every game, score four goals and concede none every game, then every single thing the club did was exactly right. <laughs> and and yes. you have my agreement there. Um, couple quick hits. So, um, Balogun, a lot of speculation about what's going to happen there. It looks like his agent went running to the athletic potentially. <laughs> Um, because Arteta made a point about the player wants to stay and we want him to stay, but his agent, you know, needs to act in best interest. And within hours of that, there's literally an athletic article saying the player's looking to sign a pre-contract abroad. Um, so a little bit of, of fuzzy timing there, I think. Do you have a, a an inkling of how you think that one will play out, given that the manager has said the player wants to stay? The player's been putting up cryptic social media posts for ages. Um, I can't really decide what I think, but the rumors of Enkedia may be going out, I think, to West Ham are breaking. Do you think that there's a interconnectedness to all of those uh, machinations? It, it's quite possible, yeah. Because I, I, I was thinking about this earlier as well. Like, uh, essentially, um, you know, you've got uh, apparently West Ham, who sold a striker today, uh, are looking at Enkedia, and, and I think that, that kind of makes some sense for them, and I think it would make some sense for us to sell, so long as we get a half-decent price. And then, you know, there's the Balogun thing. There's also the Lacazette thing. And, and you know, I've seen some people, understandably, you know, worrying us about Arsenal potentially losing three strikers um, in a short space of time. But, I mean, not so much with Balogun because we don't control that situation anymore. He is allowed to talk to clubs that is, uh, well, clubs outside Europe. Um, I'm I'm certain that, that agents and players don't just stick to that. Um, you know, discussions happen anyway. But um, and you know, I I understand that the Stuttgart thing is real. And you know, guess who works for Stuttgart um, in recruitment, Mister Mislintat, who will have yep. um, who will know a lot about this situation. So, uh, but like I guess as just as a as a starter I I am personally not I, I'd like to keep Balogun I'm not that I, I'm not sure we will well I don't think we will I think basically once you get to January it's quite I mean I say it's quite rare you keep a player we've just been talking about one who did sign a contract um in January uh, 2018 although it was on January the 31st which um, not to reprise the Ozil discussion too much, I think is a very, very telling that they that essentially they waited for the last day of the January window to sign that contract, mm. um, you know, which they're entitled to do. But I think that was a, is there going to be a better offer out there? No. Um, so uh, I, get, I guess my first thing is I am not necessarily worried about losing Inketia and Lacazette at the same time because, um, and let's word this slightly reductively and harshly, I don't think either of them are good enough. They're not going to take us where we want to go and I'm not worried about losing too many players who, though not terrible, are not taking us where we want to go. Get them out, sell them, replace them. That's what you do with that. Um, but with Balogun... It, it's quite um, it's quite telling, isn't it? What Arteta said, you know, he kind of called out the agent um, who also happens to be Nketiah's agent as well, um, kind of saying the player wants to stay, the club want him to stay. Um, but I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that if a deal is close, I don't think you really tend to call the agent out if you think it's going to happen. Um, I think you make nice in that situation more likely. So I, I kind of tend to think that with Balogun, the writing is probably on the wall. He will have plenty of interest, um, I think, and that potentially creates a 
bit of a bidding war, although I'm not sure what a bidding war looks like in the middle of a pandemic where um, and there's still no because the other thing I think to bear in mind for the January window, I don't know if you saw Jurgen Klopp, for example, said that Liverpool aren't going to try and sign a defender, even though they desperately need one because of the pandemic. And one of the things I think we really have to consider is because of this, you know, this new variant and the way, um, you know, cases are unfortunately skyrocketing getting fans back into stadiums like it's not happening um now it looked like around november december we were we were getting them back in on a kind of on a smaller basis and maybe we'd be able to like bring that up over time that is now not happening um until a, a point in the seat like at the earliest a point in the season where it's just not really that relevant to your bottom line like i am not expecting to be able to go to another arsenal game this season and that is money that clubs maybe were thinking well you know if we can if we can start getting fans through the gates again in the second half of the season up the revenue that's not happening now so clubs arsenal are going to have more than any club right match day yep. revenue and, and spurs um, Arsenal and Spurs are basically the two who are hit the most by it and they are the two that have gone to the Bank of England for loans so uh, that's going to have an impact as well that probably has an impact on how much we can and will offer a player like Balogun and if there are other clubs interested um, then it might not just it might not come down to just playing time but then again maybe if you were being um Maybe if you're thinking about it a bit too much, the, the fact that Inketia, this Inketia interest is coming out, maybe that's a way of saying, look, there's your path. Um, you know, look, we're we're willing to kind of get rid of this guy. But again, they've got the same agent. So like, how likely is that really? So I, I think with Balogun, it, it looks like it's going towards um, a, an inevitable conclusion. But I think what will be really interesting and what will be a big tell is the team selection tomorrow because I would expect mm. Nketiah to start tomorrow and probably for Balogun to be on the bench. But if, let's say, Balogun starts and Nketiah doesn't, you can infer from that there is still hope with the Balogun contract and that Nketiah is probably on the way out. If Nketiah doesn't start, I think that will start some rumours that maybe they're looking to, you know, they're looking to get rid um, so I, I think tomorrow's team selection is going to be a real tell with some of these things and particularly with Balogun. Basically, whatever happens um, with Balogun's level of involvement tomorrow, you can make an inference either way. If he's not involved, gonna. If he's on the bench and, you know, maybe if he starts, you can probably say that Arsenal still holds some hope. I certainly would say that if Nketiah starts, he's not being sold. Like, he... I yeah. realize we have a first-time coach, and so sometimes you don't always get how this works, but he's a smart guy. Like The rumors are that we want $30 million for Nketiah. If we get $30 million for Nketiah, Edu is on my nice list for a long time, okay? Um, you know, that'd be up there with the, the $40 million, and I guess it didn't wind up being 40 but around there for Iwobi. But, like, if Nketiah is starting when you think you might get $30 million for the guy from West Ham, I mean, it, it you know, that, that seems like, bad move I, I would definitely say that if and if we get to your point if we get 30 million for Enketia and then let Balogun go <laughs> we're nuts because no I'm still Balogun, fine with that I'm still fine with that like if you so Paul if you said to me Balogun's leaving regardless now make a decision about Enketia if I have a 30 million bid for Enketia it doesn't matter what happens with Balogun I'm selling him 
You uh, wouldn't take the well, thirty million for Encadia. Difference. Yeah. Well, sorry. No, no. I take the thirty million for Encadia. I'm just saying, if we let Balogun go and like base like, it's just us chatting, right? Yeah, but, but we Balogun don't want him to go, right? We don't have Encadia. a choice. Yeah, I'm confused because yeah. you see what I'm saying, right? Like, I, I'm pretty sure we want Balogun to stay. He holds all the cards at this point. Well, not, well, we could offer him more. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's true. very no, simple. Yeah, that's true, actually. We could just match I, his wage demands, and then he stayed. Good point. All right. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. And my other thought is, let's see where we're at at the end of this window, because we may just be in a holding pattern where we're like, we would like to offer you more money, not as much as you're asking, but we'd like to. We just <laughs> got to get rid of these bums. Um, and, well, and like, harsh, if in, but okay. <laughs> not, not in Katia, no, but these bum. other bums, right? Yeah, other bums. They got like... They got millions and millions and millions of quid about quids about to be freed up here. All the quids. They can afford. They they may not be able to afford Balogun at the start of this window. They may be able to afford a little bump up at the end of the window if Eddie goes. But my point was like, if you can get thirty million or twenty for Eddie, um, it really makes you think about letting Balogun go. Yeah. Well, I guess, look, I mean, there's a couple other things that could be happening here. I mean, I, there's talk about a Lacazette contract. I don't think he's going to get one. I think Arteta has to say we'll review it because what's he going to say? We're not giving that bum a contract. Like, I couldn't be more pleased with the way his form is turning around. And I think he's playing in a formation and a, a setup that suits him better now. Great. But as we've discussed, squad building principles don't make mistakes that you can see coming. So we won't do that, I hope. Um, you know, some outgoings. I mean, could Mustafi go? Maybe Socrates gone. Um you know, Kolasinac is gone already. Ozil could be going. Like, there could be a pretty decent clear out on the way here, which makes room for other players to not only come in, but then come into our Premier League team. Um, Tim, I just want to give you a chance before we say goodbye here. The Buendia links seem to be the strongest ones. And when we're at the depths of our Nadir this season, uh, you were pretty strongly against wanting Buendia for reasons that I would describe as sort of soft factor reasons, just feeling that he wasn't a, a player who's up for mm-hmm. the hard game, sort of a good time player. And I I realize some of that may be informed by what we were going through at the time. Now that we may be getting closer to doing this, do you still feel that you think this could wind up being a bad move for those reasons? Or have you sort of revisited that viewpoint? Um, so, uh, right. I, I'd say... I'd, well, and, and if I've I, mischaracterized that, then please correct the record. No, 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 you haven't. You haven't. You haven't at all. Um, no, I, I said that quite plainly. Um, I think I called him a quitter. <laughs> it's um, possible. <laughs> things, things were said. So, <laughs> On this podcast, things get said, usually by me, but they get said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, like, to put that into some context, so I read some some stuff about uh, Buendia, um, you know, when he came over and, and at the end of last season with Norwich and all of that. And, you know, I know Daniel Fark uh, called him out quite strongly um, for what he felt was a, a strong start to the season, but that he tailed off and that he wasn't providing enough. Um, he got himself sent off with three games to go. Uh, lovely three match ban. Thank you very much. He he was actually um, taken out of the team a couple of times during mm-hmm. that run, like post lockdown. And, and like, to be absolutely fair, Everyone looked bad for Norwich post lockdown. They just they went they they fell into this kind of whirlpool. Like he fell into the Emery washing machine. Um, to borrow one of Clive's phrases, where he changed the formation every game because he just couldn't make anything work. And Buendia was occasionally on the right, sometimes on the left, sometimes behind the striker, playing in a team that was kind of failing. Um, the, the, kind of the same thing happened to Todd Cantwell as well, who people rate quite highly. Um, but 
yeah, I, I'd read some things about Buendia, um, some of the things that Daniel Farker said. Um, that said, um, he's kept him. Um, he's doing very well this season in the championship. And and I guess I know like uh, the championship is a level down, but it's it's still difficult for a creative player to be to be very creative um, mm. in the championship. It's it's a difficult league, particularly, I think, for that type of player. So I, I don't doubt the player's talent um, at all. Um, purely on ability, I think, you know, right profile, you know, right age. Um, you know, we spoke about Kieran Tierney, right, about um, signing players for whom Arsenal is a step up and somewhere they're happy to be. You'd probably get that with Buendia. And, and therefore, maybe you wouldn't get the kind of sod it we've already been relegated i might as well just have a three match ban mm. and go on holiday early type thing i mean maybe you don't get that in a in a team like arsenal um where you'd think no i have to really fight for my place and hopefully we wouldn't be relegated with three games to go so maybe the circumstances would be different but like honestly yes i'd still have that concern but at the same time, I acknowledge that I'm not a world expert on Buendia or the way his mind works. And I might have mischaracterized him, um, you know, so uh, like I, I'm not massively enormously against this move, um, you know, should it come off. I, I do have that concern. But, you know, as with any signing, I'm totally happy to just see how it pans out. Does it influence you at all knowing that we potentially have someone to push him a bit? in Smithrow and someone we want to bring yeah. through in Smithrow such that it's not like it has to work with Buendia. He's the only chance we have. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so the, the other thing is as well um, with, with kind of South American players, like let, let's say that, it, you know, it's, it's a bit of a flop. You can sell him back to Argentina um, relatively easily if, if, you know, if, the conditions are right. I, I also think the the other, I guess the one thing that does attract me about the move is that Buendia can play wide as well. So you can play Buendia and Smithrow. Um, and I would be, I would be totally for that. I think having, you know, having two creative players. Yes, please. Mm. That is absolutely fine with me. I still consider like Saka as that kind of secondary creator, but you know, Buendia can play 10 left, right. Great. Like it, you know, a bit like he, William then. <laughs> stop it yeah uh, <laughs> but you know like have like i i do think um and you asked me this question about smith row right about how do we how do we strike that balance between protecting him but not taking away his minutes and i said buy a creative player that can play 10 and can play wide and then you can swap them you know, with, within the same tactical apparatus. So you could start one wide and one at number 10, but in reality, they can do lots of swapping over. Um, so the, the, I like the profile of player. I, I don't love um, some of the things I've seen and read. Um, it, yeah, in, in terms of, I guess you'd broadly characterize it as attitude, but um, yeah, I, I'd be more than happy to, like, I certainly won't stand on the hilltops and say this is a terrible signing on that basis. It would be a concern in the back of my mind, but I'd wait and see what materializes. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Paul, do you want to just... Seems like a climb down to me, Elliot. It... <laughs> by, by Jim. Uh, He's covering I, his bases, which, I, believe me, I am sympathetic to that. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. He should at least have the decency to apologize to Wendy's sister after what he said about her. Yeah, oh yeah. That's a joke, by the way. Anybody who missed a podcast in the past, nothing was said about any sister he has, imaginary or otherwise. Um, 
Uh, so, Paul, j- just quickly, when do you want him? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd love him. I mean, I don't know a huge about <laughs> about him. I really you know, want just, this player just, I know nothing about. Bring him on. <laughs> yeah, but no. <laughs> when has that ever felt? I do, like the bit I've seen, yeah, no, I think he, he'd be great. He'd be kind of right where we're at. I mean, I can't believe they'll sell him and yeah. at a price we'll pay. So I don't believe it, but I think he'd be really good. Fair enough. Um, the bit I know about him. Uh, and, the, you know, the attitude thing, I mean, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, right? So um, I guess uh, I'm, not, I'm not too – Tim hasn't put me off too much on that stuff. I, I think it would probably – like if he's a really dodgy character, so be it. But I think a lot of players might have struggled in those circumstances. And, you know, not everybody has to be a leader. We've got plenty of leaders already. Oh, gosh, yeah. If there's one thing Arsenal has, we're awash in leadership. Um, Tim, last, last <laughs> thought. Newcastle in the FA Cup. You could certainly debate whether the FA Cup should be going <laughs> forward uh, for pandemic-based reasons. I think it was something like 113 positive COVID tests from the EFL clubs this week, and you know certainly different um, standard by which the bubble is upheld. Now you could say the same thing about European competition. But that's another story, um, but it <laughs> is going forward, as far as I can tell. In your and we're playing a Premier League opponent, so certainly you know a different risk factor. And there's also the question of whether there's really inter-team transmission. Right when you play each other outside on a pitch, you know, is it past yeah, the team yeah. player? So all, all those things complicate that conversation. Rather than going there, just quickly, you're Arteta, three game win streak, found a little bit of form, now down to playing, you know, roughly once a week. I mean, I think we have a late midweek game. Do we have a Thursday game coming up? Thursday, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you yeah. still have time. Uh, which would you prefer he does? Which do you think he'll do? Err on the side of caution and and heavily rotate for the FA Cup, or try to keep the good form, good feeling going and pick largely the Premier League team that has seen our uh, our form turn around? So I, I would rotate um, and I would play, you know, <laughs> because I, I was looking at the, what a team might look like if you rotate, for example. And so why don't, why don't I just run through the team that I would probably pick? And I love I think that idea. Please pick. do, yeah. So, so I think he'll pick Leno. In, in fact, two plays in goal might be interesting, whether he goes with Renison. I think he'll stick with Leno. I think you'll see a back four of Cedric, David Luiz, um, and then possibly Gabriel. Um, but if not Gabriel, you might get Mustafi again, and then Maitland-Niles at left back. And then you can have a midfield th- two of uh, El Elneny and probably Party to play 60 minutes. Um, ahead of them, I think you'd have Joe Willock in the kind of number 10 position, uh, William and Pepe either side of him. And then up front, um, pr- you know, probably in Ketia, unless we really are on the verge of selling him. Um, if not, then that, that would be again, that would be interesting because that would kind of be between Lacazette and Aubameyang unless you want to give Martinelli a game there. Um, and I could be convinced in pretty much all of those cases to Mm -hmm. be honest so like that's what to me a rotated team would look like and that to me is a team that can beat Newcastle Um, and I think the Newcastle team will be rotated um, as well they've they've been chopping and changing their team a lot in recent weeks they've got guys who haven't played for five or six games who've lost lost their places I I think I've said this before but I think um, your ideal draw in the third round of the FA Cup if you're looking purely at progression um because usually in normal times I'd be looking for a good away day, but um, obviously that's not on the cards. But you, you either want a team who are bottom of the Premier League or top of the Championship because they won't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. And this year in particular, with, um, you know, like at time of recording, Aston Villa are about to play Liverpool and Villa have agreed to put their under-23s out. 
um, basically because they don't really want a bar of the FA Cup and they're playing Liverpool. And because it's the COVID season and they can maybe see some postponements stacking up, they've gone, fuck it, we'll, we'll play it. We'll lose. They're, basi- they're basically throwing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of the teams near the bottom, particularly with this congested fixture list, will do that even more than ever. So I've probably put the massive kiss of death on that. But I think Newcastle at home is is pretty much ideal for what you want for a team who are not in good form, not in good shape um, and probably don't really care about the competition. So I think that that team should be more than enough. It also Look, we're going to need Willian. We're going to, whether we like it or not, we're going to need Nicola Pepe. Um, you know, whether whatever happens to Joe Willock, like we're we're going to need David Luiz. We might even need Cedric. Um, heaven forbid. Like we're going to need these players. <laughs> like they need games. We cannot just play that eleven that have played the last few games in perpetuity. And this is a really good chance to say to Pepe and Willian, right, you're, you're playing today like you shouldn't be playing today, basically, is what is the kind of speech I'd give them. Go out and prove that in the next round, you, you'll be on the bench. You'll be one of the guys who's rested or rotated because you're not part of the cup team. And and it's a good. it would be a good opportunity for, for both of them to say, right, okay, mm, I've, I've probably lost my place here. Um, and I've probably, I've definitely lost like form and momentum. So this is a good chance to get it back at home to a fairly poor team. So that that's what I would do. And I think that's what Mikel Arteta is going to do. And I think that would make uh, a lot of sense. Makes sense to me, Paul. Your final thoughts are to agree or disagree with Tim. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Uh, the interesting uh, part of the pitch is the forwards um, because there's a lot of options as to who needs a game, who, uh, and then what it says about their status within the club or within the market. You know, does, does Eddie, if Eddie doesn't start, it tells us potentially a lot here. Um, I think there's a good chance that, like, the one thing I'd say about the, the Balogun topic and this game is I, I almost wouldn't expect him to start under any circumstance. I think the only scenario is that he's on the bench and so I actually think it might be quite hard to tell what's going on with Balogun, depending on what's, uh, or rather based on this game, because I think the most likely scenario is under any scenario, unless he's totally fallen out with the club, that he's on the bench and he plays about 30 minutes, whether we want him or we're, we're not quite sure whether there'll be something happening or things are going well. I think it'll still look something a lot like Balogun comes on for 30 minutes, but who plays the 60 minutes is the question. But we could play Martinelli or give Pepe or somebody uh, new. You know, Willian can play every position. Maybe he goes in as a strike or we do something a little funky like that. Um, so, yeah, anyway, the, the, the front three will be the interesting one to watch for all sorts of reasons. Yeah, and I would only add to that that it seems like a pretty straightforward opportunity to get Saliba his first minute, so we'll see if he does that. Um, let's leave it there. <laughs> we can't afford it. No, we can't. We're, we're skinned. Um, I love the funny thing is that you're like, Paul, <laughs> this is not a dig, but I love how you're like, we, we can't afford to play Saliba because we will trigger some amount of payments. But the $8 billion a year we pay Ozil is certainly not holding us back. No problem there. I like it. I like being uh, able to view the world. You really want to have that no, conversation I don't, I don't. all a, over no, again? No, I don't. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Like, pause. Right. Woohoo! <laughs>
<laughs> Tim's on Twitter. Tim Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive will be back on the next one, I imagine, and certainly on the Instant Reaction pod this weekend. Some combination of uh, our Motley crew will be here. Uh, this week was a busy one on Patreon. If you wanted to join there, we have Dominic's video, 22 minutes breaking down the West Brom performance. We have a 7 a.m. kickoff, Tim and Scott doing an analytics pod. We have Clive handling the transfer rumors, all of them in a transfer rumor roundup. And uh, we had an absolutely great guest, David Hartrick, um, uh, the Opta in-ground analyst for Huddersfield talking to us about Emil Smith-Rowe's time uh, at Huddersfield along with um, the usual crew discussing him as well. So just a really fun week of stuff that we got to do thanks to the, the games not coming thick and fast. They will start coming thick and fast again as they always do. I want to thank Arsenal... Um, I want I want to thank Arsenal editor, thank you, <laughs> uh, who we've partnered with to support a fan-run business. We're trying to do a bit more of that. Um, hat tip to Arsblog for thinking about that. So Arsenal editor has some awesome Arsenal designs, and you can buy them right from our website, and it all goes right to, to him, uh, to Nils, who's great. You can go to arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash shop and shop for all the Arsenal editor stuff, and, and he's really great and a good follow as well. So thanks to everybody. Thanks to you guys. Thanks to everybody hanging in there. What an interesting season. Still so much to argue about, and that's that's really what makes it fun is the arguing, I think it's fair to say. Um, so a lot more still to come. FA Cup of the weekend. The Arsenal Invitational is back. Hope you enjoy it. We love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Newcastle Mill. No.